0: your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to The Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to The Ghost Story Guys. I'm Renestore, and this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in, this is episode number 101. And I'm coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. I'm not here alone, however. Oh no, no. I am joined today by my friend and guest host, Paul Bestel of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast. Paul, welcome to the Ghost Story, guys.
1: Oh, thank you. And and thank you for the invitation. I'm delighted to be back.
0: Always like having you on. We had you on episode 83, Riddle of the Mountains. And mm-hmm. it was one of our most popular episodes. You're going to have to fight Kev Eustis, though, of We Need to Talk About Ghosts for the for the top title. I think it's kind of a punch out between... Uh, his episode, which was 72, and yours.
1: Yeah, uh, No, we're, we're okay. Yorkshire and, and Liverpool tend to get on quite well. It's a, it's a Northern working class thing, so I'm sure we're all right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I was worried we we're going to have a War of the World-style scenario where I have to lock you both in a room like Tom Cruise and Tim Hutton. So that's good. <laughs> that's
1: good. I don't want to revisit that film, thank you.
0: <laughs> fair, fair. Kev will actually be joining us on a future episode, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but, uh, first we must address the, the elephant in the room. And, uh, of course, if you've been following the show on social media, you all, uh, you will know that Ian Gibbs, my co-host for the first 100 episodes is no longer part of the show. And, uh, if you want more information about that, I encourage you to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash guys. We'll be put up a post there. And there's also uh, an episode of my radio show, largely the truth, which I recorded just for patrons. And that goes into more detail as well. Hey, this is me breaking in after the fact. It occurred to me after the episode went public that I forgot to mention the Patreon post I'm referring to here is public. You don't have to pay to read it. The episode of Larger the Truth is only for patrons, but the actual text post in which I talk a little bit more about uh, the situation, that is public for everyone to read. Thanks everyone. Now back to the show. Regardless, I wish Ian well. His book, Vancouver's Most Honored, will be coming out this fall, and we'll give it a mention when it comes out on here as well. The rest of the team is still here. Myself, Luke, Anthony, Sarah. We are so excited for the future because we have a lot of great plans. We have so many, many things planned for you guys. And I know you're just going to love it. So, onward to the future. Now, Paul, on this episode, we are talking about animal ghosts, Ooh. which is not a subject I had ever considered, but Anthony, uh, was the one to put this forward. And in the inimitable Paul Bestel fashion, you found an embarrassing amount of research and embarrassing for me, not for you. Um, <laughs> because you know, I'm going to be crowing about this routinely throughout the show, but your, your paranormal knowledge base is, is ludicrous and you found some really, really brilliant stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, As someone that loves the paranormal in general, it's the the different stories that I always sit up and take notice with. And even from being a child, when I first read about the the legendary Geff or Jeff, the talking mongoose from the Isle of Man in the 1930s, I've always had a real interest in, in animal ghosts and spirits of departed loved pets coming back to their owners. So it's a subject that's quite close to my heart with a couple of uh, close friends having had animal-based spiritual encounters over the years. So it's something I've often taken a real interest in because I often find them a, a different type of, of haunting because they they tend to be a more emotionally settling and, and reassuring kind of experience. I found in my experience um, and most of the stories, I mean, there are some terrifying ones, of course, obviously, England's renowned for the the stories and encounters of, of the uh, demon-like black shucks, Brennan. But um, there are hundreds of stories of, of love pets coming back to reassure their owners and, and kind of saying goodbye. So it's, it's, it's quite, um, I think it's quite a nice subject because it tends to, to have, most of them tend to have a, a happy ending or leave somebody feeling um, emotionally enriched by the experience, I think.
0: And uh, considering the year we've had, and, and frankly, the month I've had, <laughs> That sounds like just what the doctor ordered.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it, it's quite interesting as well because they they seem to be quite cyclical and fashionable. So you'll probably not hear about them for quite a while, and then they'll turn up. And um, one of the stories I've I've brought forward for you for your listeners today, strangely, is featured in this month's Fortean Times. Oh no, kidding. the artist Jeffrey Valens, who's quite well known in in certain avant-garde circles, has actually done an article about one of the stories which involves a ghostly chicken. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it was quite odd because I'd mentioned this story to a friend before Christmas. And then when you all kindly asked me to join the show today uh, and, and be your guest host, um, it was one of the stories I thought of because I, I think it's a great story and it's a bit weird. And then my 14 times arrived this morning and it's a two, two page article in there as well. So it's, it's weird how these things happen.
0: They always say synchronicity is a sign you're going the right direction. Mm. I like to think that uh, that's what we're doing here.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, with nude chickens and teary stories to look forward to, we're going to take a quick break and come right back with Animal Ghosts. Welcome back. Paul, I was saying during the break that uh, recording this way is is very strange for me. This is all uncharted territory. And quite frankly, I fear change. I am not a fan.
1: Well, it's it's one of those things that we all have to deal with, my friend. And uh, I I think you're doing okay.
0: You're very kind. (laughs) I will say, though, the human experience, garbage. Not a fan.
1: (laughs) Well, don't worry. I've got some... uh, some tantalizing tales of the paranormal involving animals that are uh, uncovered for you that will probably uh, settle things down.
0: I, yes, you sure did. And I got to say your vast knowledge of the paranormal is something I, I absolutely admire. A long time ago, I found the podcast by the wrestler Roddy Piper mm. and it's brilliant because the way he says, the way he puts it, he says, my memory's terrible because he's been hit in the head so many times. Mm. But if you give him a word, he can come up with a story based on that word from his life. So, mm. you know, if you tell him bear, he's like, oh yeah, I wrestled a bear once for $20. You know, that, that's, <laughs> it's actually a story he told. Yeah. And with you, I, I can pretty much say anything. I can just conjure a verb or a noun, I guess, conjure a noun. I'm not good with <laughs> grammar either. I can conjure a noun and you have a ghost story or a, or a, a related case. And I just admire the absolute shit out of that.
1: Yeah. I, I probably just, just means I, ha- I need more. Hobbies.
0: <laughs> Who the hell That's needs suspect. hobbies? You know where hobbies lead, Paul? Hobbies lead to my wife and I building a 3,600-piece Lego Batmobile over Christmas. That's where hobbies lead. <laughs> Stick with the ghosts.
1: That does seem to be the, uh, the big thing this Christmas. I've seen a few people indulging in a love of, of complex Lego buildings. I've seen a Castle Greyskull from, uh, oh, from no a somebody attempted, uh, and then his children accidentally took some of it apart. Which oh didn't go no. down well. Um, And a couple of Millennium Falcons over the over the Christmas and New Year period. So I think it's it's this year's trend for for midlife crises. <laughs> all
0: right. Well, <laughs> goodbye, Paul. You are going now. <laughs> look at the look at the time. <laughs> it's
1: all right. I'm over mine,
0: and I am just entering the threshold. Well,
1: I'm here to guide you.
0: See, it all <laughs> works out in the end. <laughs> So with the ghost stories you found, uh, there, again, there was a, an alarming number of ghost animals, which raises all these questions about an entire world mm. full of, like an entire uh, sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Unseen world full of the dead animals we have wronged in this life. And uh, I think perhaps the most chilling among them, that you told me at least, was this bear at the Tower of London.
1: Yeah. Now this is quite a famous story and it might seem a bit weird because obviously bears in the UK were supposed to have been hunted to extinction about the the turn of the first millennium, so about 1000 AD.
0: I didn't even realize they'd been there in the first place.
1: Yeah. um, We had quite a, I wouldn't say a substantial population, but they are certainly in our fossil record and known for being in the localities, mostly in the north of of the UK, as you would imagine. And occasionally um, some of the royals um, during the Tudor and Elizabethan periods would import them for hunting which is delightful. Of course. Um, But bears have always been a bit of a strange thing over here. So one of the most famous stories we have in regards to a ghostly animal is actually set at the Tower of London and involves the ghost of a bear. Now, this story occurs back in January 1816, when a sentry who was on duty in what was then known as the Jewel Tower had a terrifying encounter whilst doing his duty. As he was doing his rounds, the sentry encountered an apparition of a gigantic bear. And so real did this bear appear that he actually lunged at it with his bayonet, which then went through the ghostly bear, struck the wall, and left this poor sentry uh, a shivering wreck.
0: That would do it. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever seen, I guess if you you guys have murdered all your bears a thousand years ago, you're not going to have seen this, but if you've seen a bear <laughs> in any kind of proximity, it, it is a terrifying sight. Like I've seen... Well, I've seen small and large bears. Like in Revelstoke, we're given um, this is going to sound very, very small mountain town. We're given bear training, and so you are told what to do when you see a bear. You know, do you do you drop? Do you run? You don't run. Is is the secret there? You know, do you climb a tree? And they do this because you will find them around town. You mm-hmm. know, this is just a, a thing that happens. And I remember there was one time, and I may even have told the story on the show, but someone who lives in this more rural part of town they um <laughs> their neighbor looked across the gap between the houses and they saw a bear in their neighbor's kitchen and they <laughs> thought well that that's bad i mean mm-hmm. you know he's presumably not there to borrow a cup of sugar mm-hmm. and so his plan his genius plan for discouraging this bear and, and uh sending it on its way was to blast an air horn through the window <laughs> Now okay. I don't know if you know what frightened bears do, Paul, but it ain't great.
1: <laughs> I can imagine. I can really yeah. imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah, destruction and shitting is yes. basically what happens. Destruction mm. and shitting, which is also going to be the title of my autobiography one day.
1: <laughs> to be fair, if I was having a you know having a nice rummage in a kitchen and somebody sneaked up behind me with an air horn, I'd probably defecate as well. <laughs> okay, well. Yeah, I mean, it is a weird story as well, the, the ghostly bear, because the, the strange connection with this is that at that time, the Tower of London actually held the Royal Menagerie. So they had a zoo there. And oh, okay. So the prime exhibit at the time was actually a bear that was given to King George III um, from the Hudson Bay Company as a gift, I think, for allowing them to, to trade out there. Right as, as as part of the Commonwealth, uh, and he was known as Old Martin, and he was the star attraction at the menagerie, and people would come from far and wide to visit him. So, the sentry's reaction was probably that he thought Old Martin had actually got out.
0: Right, of course, that would be my first thought too. Was Martin dead at the time, or he was th- he was still living?
1: No, he was still alive. He he lived. Um, I think he was given to the to the king. In about 1811. So it predated this encounter. Okay. And he, he lived because the zoo was shut down, da- the, the menagerie rather, was shut down early 1830s. And then London Zoo was created. And all the animals that were part of the menagerie at the Tower of London were moved into London Zoo to become the first residents, as it were. And Martin went across there. And I think he died about 1839. So he lived to, to quite an age.
0: So the only thing more frightening than a ghost bear is an astrally projecting bear.
1: Well, well, it could have been that. Yeah. I mean, might have gone for a wander around the, the grounds.
0: I just imagine him going around collecting grievances, kind of planning <laughs> his escape. Like, all right, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Fuck, oh, especially fuck that guy. Yeah. And yeah. just when the day, it's like the, the penguins from Madagascar, but with a lot more murder.
1: Or he could have misunderstood what a beefeater was.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Ooh>.
1: Sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Coincidentally, there's actually two stories coming up where the apparition scene is actually of something that is alive or that is mm. still alive. Mm. So I, we talk, we've talk, we talked a lot on the show and, and you've listened since day one about this idea of subtle bodies, mm. you know, this sort of the, the second body. And of course the occultists, you know, especially in the first half of the 20th century, they had a lot to say about that. Mm. And so this idea that animals would have subtle bodies, I mm. guess is not that big a reach, but it also raises a lot of... Uh, Shall we say uncomfortable questions about the way we treat animals?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me because obviously that kind of phenomenon, if it can afflict humans, why would it not afflict members of the animal kingdom?
0: Yeah. Well, which we are technically apart, I guess. We we like mm-hmm. to forget that because we can, you know, do math and make porno, but uh, it. it...
1: <laughs> you well, yeah.
0: <laughs> but it, yeah, we're still animals. So I, I guess mm-hmm. that, that makes sense. Huh? Mm-hmm. Now, you have another one here I'm noticing on the notes, and it is the, the mental story of the plucked chicken. <laughs> is, this a, is this like a, a bachelor party that went out of control, or what, what happened here?
1: Um, this is one of those strange stories, because I was talking to a friend before Christmas, and he said to me, what's, what's one of the strangest ghost stories you've ever heard of? And I said, well, off the top of my head, there is one, um, which involves the legendary intellectual giant of the Elizabethan era, Sir Francis Bacon and his attempts at creating frozen food. Really? Yes. So according to historical writings, Bacon was traveling from Highgate to London, which is obviously now part of London, and decided upon the journey, it was a very chilly April, it was an unseasonably cold April for, for England, to procure a chicken to enable him to experiment on the potential of stuffing it with snow and ice to preserve it. And so Bacon on this journey decided to, to stop at a, a local farm and, and buy a chicken that was freshly slaughtered and plucked for his uh, perusal. I'm um, glad it was
0: dead first because I, I br- briefly considered <laughs> that he was going to just try and stuff a bunch of snow up the ass of some poor chicken and I was <laughs> really upset.
1: Yeah, that'd be a very different story, I think. And, um,
0: <laughs> it would still probably be on this show, though, so that's Oh, fair.
1: yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so he, he was quite successful in it. However, due to his experimentations in the cold weather, Bacon actually contracted pneumonia and died within a week. Oh, shit. Now, I've always found this bit a bit strange because I think handling raw chicken with snow and ice, it being the early 17th century, I probably surmise he didn't wash his hands after handling the poultry. And coupled with the cold weather, I suspect there might have been a bit more to this than pneumonia. However, I will go with the historical narrative, and that says he died of pneumonia. Sure. Um, as you may imagine, Francis Bacon has died. So that the potential there is probably it would be Bacon's ghost that would return. But apparently within a couple of years, people in the area began to notice a plucked chicken that would, a- <laughs> would appear in the area that it had been purchased and stuffed with freezing cold snow, running around making a racket and squawking, <laughs> and so so the area became known for this haunted chicken. And you kind of think, oh well, you know, early seventeenth century. However, it kept being reported, and there were two reports during the Second World War. Um, one, whether an air warden who was reportedly so hungry he decided to chase this scabby-looking chicken down the street to try and catch it so he could kill it and eat it. Though why you would think that a plucked chicken who just appeared from nowhere in the middle of an air raid would be something that you would fancy for your dinner? And as he was chasing it, it vanished. And then another member of the armed forces also saw the chicken a year later and saw it just vanish in front of his eyes. So we obviously had that.
0: This all seems like one of those Bugs Bunny cartoons where two people are stuck in a boat for a really long time without food, and they start <laughs> looking at each other, and they look like chickens. I think there was probably just some poor, some poor like flower vendor these bastards chased down a road.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, the chickens' appetite for for scaring people didn't stop there, because towards the '60s and '70s, the area became known as a bit of a lovers' lane where couples would would wander because it was a very pretty square that it had now turned into. So it was the kind of place you would take a young lady for a romantic walk, I'm led to believe. And um, one particularly amorous couple were sat on a bench only to be disturbed as the chicken fell from above their heads (laughs) and disturbed their amorous advances. (laughs) uh, I feel like disturbed is
0: underselling it.
1: (laughs) Causing both to scream in horror uh, and uh, obviously regain their composure uh, only once again to see the chicken disappear. Now, sadly, it seems reports of this phantom chicken don't seem to be reported that often, though I suspect it's one of those apparitions that even if you did see it, would you really see some tell somebody that you'd seen a haunted chicken floating about, squawking at you?
0: Well, I, I was just thinking that. I mean, this reminds me of that great, now I'm clearly realizing it's a documentary, Killing, about a murderous turkey. <laughs> And I'm just thinking no one there wanted to tell anyone they'd seen the goddamn thing either. So I, I, this thing could really actually be running that part of England as a gang Lord (laughs) and no one would say anything because who the hell wants to admit they're working for a chicken. It's like that Animaniacs cartoon chicken boo. (laughs) No one wants to admit they worked for a chicken. No, that's Larry. (laughs) (laughs) What a card that guy. (laughs) He's so fucking crazy.
1: (laughs) Very true. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And now on with the stories. Beeman's Cry Full disclosure, for most of my life I've never been much of a pet person, despite my mother having two cats during most of my childhood, and then again when I moved back home. It was after the move home that my attitude towards cats started to soften, specifically because of Beeman. Beeman was an old boy. When she adopted him, he was already twelve, which is long past the point where cats can expect to be adopted, and he was fourteen when I came home to live in my old room. Over the next six years, I became fond of Mom's other cat, Wallace, but it was really Beeman who brought me around. He was so gentle, and really just wanted to be next to you. I'd be watching TV and he'd curl up right next to me, or on me, and I couldn't bring myself to disturb him. When he finally died, I was pretty upset. It was maybe a month afterward when I heard the strange cry. I would fallen asleep on the couch, as I often do, and awoke to the sound of a cat crying out. There's a name for this type of cat noise, but I don't know what it is. It's not quite a whimper or whine, but in that direction, you know? Whatever you call it, it was exactly the sound Beeman used to make. It always sounded close by, but hollow, like it was being spoken through an object or tunnel. Friends who would visit in the late evening would hear it as well and try to blame the other cat, Wallace, until I showed them he was fast asleep and not making any sounds at all. Some of them were frightened by this, but I never was. I didn't exactly believe it was a ghost either, because that seemed pretty unlikely. I was curious, however, so the next night it happened, I grabbed the flashlight and absolutely scoured the house, top to bottom, to find where it was coming from. No cats on the ground, apart from the sleeping Wallace. No cats in the attic, or in the yard outside, or even in the neighbor's yards. Hell, I climbed underneath the porch and looked down there. Didn't find a thing. When I got home, it occurred to me that Beeman's ashes were in the same room where the cries can often be heard. Could that be it? Are we hearing this because Beeman is somehow connected to his ashes? Does he miss us and not want to move on? Can cats be ghosts? And I mean, that seems like a bad deal for the cat, and that bums me out hard, but I suppose, yeah, why not? I mean, as we're about to learn in this episode, cats can, in fact, be ghosts.
1: Well, for me, if any animal's going to be a ghost, it's going to be a cat. How's that? Um, they just seem to be a little bit more connected to the paranormal, don't they? I mean, we've always had a, a long-running tradition of cats being classed as deities or, or closer to God, when you look at you know ancient Egypt, and then obviously cats being the familiars of witches throughout the, the years. So cats would always strike me as if any animal could come back as a ghost, primarily just to get on people's nerves, <laughs> it would be a cat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is a good point. I may have, again, I may have told this on the show before, but uh, I know a guy whose father lives in Calgary, Alberta, and he went home to visit him one This guy went home to visit his dad one year, and his dad had had, had a cat for a very long time, and the cat had died. And mm. then as they're sitting there in the living room talking- There is this plucking at the screen door like the cat used to do. It used to pluck at the screen door to be let back in. And so this guy looked at his dad and said, oh, you got a new cat. This dad said, nope. Gets up, goes to the door, opens the front door, opens the screen door, closes the screen door, closes the the front door, and the plucking is stopped. And his his son looked at him and said, you've got to be kidding me. And he says, nope. Nope, he's dead, but I still have to open the door for him. (laughs)
1: No, I think that proves my point.
0: It really does.
1: Jet on the stairs. Our old Siberian Husky Jet used to love sleeping down in the cellar. I couldn't tell you why, but if the door was closed, she would scratch at it until we opened it and she was able to go down there and nap, or just hang out if she wanted to be alone by herself for a while. There were a lot of us in the house, so that wasn't as crazy as it might seem. If I'd been able to hang out down there in the cellar, I would have too. One day, out of nowhere, Jet became very sick. We took her to the vet immediately, but he couldn't identify what was going on, and so she came back home with us. It would turn out to be her last night. Later, the vet would conclude that Jet had been poisoned with antifreeze, or something very much like it, but we were never able to determine where it had come from, or who had given it to her. To poison a dog intentionally is one of the worst acts of cruelty you could possibly commit, because it is a unique life that you are taking in the most painful way possible, but such is the world, I suppose. Jet spent her last night in bed in the cellar, and for years afterward, none of the other animals in the house would go near the stairs. If you carried them down there with you, they were fine, but they seemingly could no more set foot on those steps than I could the moon. Finally, one day, my father and I were sitting in the living room, just down the hall from the cellar door. I don't remember what we were talking about, because the conversation ended the second we saw Jet emerge from the cellar door, walk past us in the living room, and then out through the back door. She wasn't solid or transparent, just kind of light. We never saw her again, and after that, the dogs had no problems with the cellar stairs.
0: Oh, man, I... I if- to have someone poison an animal without me knowing who it was would just drive me mad because i'd want to put hands on whoever hurt like i want to put hands on people who hurt animals generally mm. but especially if it's you know some someone close to me or if, it's, or if it's my pet i would i would froth with rage i when i see people petting my cats outside i get kind of tense and i just think you motherfucker if you hurt yeah. my cat
1: as as a as an animal lover and, and animal owner it is it is one of those things that you often worry about and um, you know, I've had, I've had dogs and cats and, um, I remember one of my, my mum's dogs used to love going swimming in the local river and, uh, he used to love it like a polar bear <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he, um, he ended up going in one particular day and some moron had decided to smash loads of bottles in the river. Oh man. And he sliced all his paw up and I think he had to have something like 60 stitches in it. Oh my God. Um, and, I mean, he made a full recovery, but you know, still. It's, um, things like that. Just, uh, they make my, any, anything to do with animal cruelty just makes my blood boil.
0: Oh, a thousand percent. I, uh, a long time ago I had a friend and, well, I mean, we're still friends. We're not, we're not close, but we're still friends. Mm. But, uh, he had a pet goat, a mini goat. <laughs> yeah. Named Damien. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. Good name. Good name. My middle name. Is it? Yes. <laughs> this explains so much. <laughs> so much to learn about you, Paul. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so Damien was this aptly named little goat and I remember we would take this thing for walks. You know, we would mm. take the goat for a walk around the neighborhood. Yeah. And, uh, but one day someone poisoned him with antifreeze and I have a sneaking suspicion it may have been the mother of my friend who did it. Mm. Uh, I don't think she was fond of the goat. I don't even remember how the goat came to be. I, it's one of those things that just appeared one day, I think. Mm. But, uh, yeah, anyways. The goat was poisoned and my friend was just bereft, mm. you know, and, and I remember thinking even then, like, who, who the fuck would give a, what is a goat doing to you? But, uh, yeah, I guess you, you just can't account for some people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Friend of mine, she's got a farm, Hannah, and, um, they've, they, they had a goat who was called Dorothy. Um,
0: oh, that works too.
1: And, uh, she was, she was just very eccentric.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> I think, have to you, know what you, a goat you, does to be eccentric.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like a um, a livery yard. So there was stables and things and you'd be pottering about and she used to have some bottles of champagne out in one of the um, outhouses. I remember once being up there and she said, oh, God, well, come on, well, there was some reason. We said, go and get some champagne. So I'm in there and I didn't realise Dorothy was just having a wander. So I <laughs> no got these two bottles of champagne and just turned around to be faced by this goat stood in the doorway, just <laughs> giving me that strange, slit-eyed look that goats give you. And um, I just went, I'm just getting some champagne, Dorothy. And it just went, and wandered <laughs> off.
0: You, you have been weighed in the balance and found okay. Because <laughs> you're right. When goats look at you, you were, looking at, you were looking at the fabric of eternity through those tiny little eyes. There yeah. is something, yeah, deeply unwholesome about goats, mm. which is not to say what happened to my friend's goat is okay. That's still not okay. But uh, yeah, beware of goats is what we're saying. Mm. That's, that's our message to you here at The Ghost Story Guys for two, <laughs> 2021. Beware of goats. (laughs) The Herd My wife Terry and I are nature people. We feed the birds, the deer, even the bears that come to our backyard. I know you're not supposed to, but it's fine. Yeah, this, this is me talking now. Don't do that. Don't feed the bears. You really shouldn't even feed the birds, but really don't feed the bears. That's a bad idea. And that, that's not even me being afraid of nature. Those bears will end up being habituated to humans. You don't want that, because that ends with the bear dying. Very bad. I come from Beartown. Don't feed the bears. We also like to take pictures of the animals, and over the years have gotten some wonderful shots. Then there were the pictures of the herd. It happened in winter, when Terry and I were on our way to a late dinner in town. We lived several miles out in the country, and on the way into town we took a route we have taken often. It was dark, and a fresh snow had fallen, which always makes everything look and sound softer. About halfway to our destination, I turned to see, out the driver's side window, what looked like hundreds, if not thousands, of deer walking away from us up a hill. Neither Terry nor I had ever seen anything like it, so we pulled over to watch. There were does, fawns, and bucks, some of them with massive antlers. Some of them were quite close to the car, but never paid any attention to us whatsoever. Way ahead at the front, just about to crest the hill, was a huge buck who seemed to be leading. It's hard to describe the scale of this, but it felt huge and odd. Almost prehistoric, like we were bearing witness to some ancient migration that had happened many times before. Neither of us had any idea why so many of them would be moving at once. Maybe the scarcity of food in winter? Before moving on, we took a ton of photos, both with Terry's phone and the digital camera I keep in the car, and then had dinner, not giving the event much thought one way or the other. Our clue that we had perhaps been party to something unusual came when we looked at the photos not one came out right. Whether taken by a cell phone or proper camera, there wasn't a deer to be found in any of those pictures. Just a heavy haze. The horizon was clear, as was any place the deer hadn't been marching, but in the dozens of shots we took, not a single deer was visible. Did we see a moment from the past or something else completely? And I gotta say, that has a very chilling kind of elves leaving the uh, middle earth feeling to it that I do not like very much.
1: They are one of those animals, I think, because you tend to see them, especially over here, they tend to sort of be seen in the mist of, of dawn sort of emerging from the woods and the forests. So they have a kind of ethereal appearance about them.
0: Interesting. Here they're, they're almost like, uh, you know how in Futurama, owls have become as commonplace as rats and they're kind of a pest. (laughs) (laughs) Deer are like that here. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm often out driving at night and, uh you really got to watch out for deer. It doesn't matter where you are in the city. Apart from like right downtown, and even sometimes downtown they have turned up. But no matter where you are, there is a deer waiting to spring out in front of you and ruin your grill work.
1: We've got some fairly substantial herds not far from where we live here in Sheffield. In the Really actual herds. Yeah, there's masses of them on the Peak District. And I'm sure I'm not sure if I ever told you this. We were, I was once getting a, a a taxi over to the airport to Manchester Airport cuz it's not that far over the the Peak District. Okay. It was about 4 a.m. in the morning. So it's pitch black, middle of nowhere, no light pollution. And the taxi driver's telling me about the other week he was coming over the uh, over the peaks and he'd seen this enormous stag. And he said, it's the biggest stag I've ever seen. He said, it, it looked like a bus. He was that big. And you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. What, whatever, mate. <laughs> sure, thinking, yeah. Is it? Yeah, I'm sure you did. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And there was a wood on its back, you know, riding it home. And... um, so when I've been this chat, anyway, about five minutes later, we comes around this corner, and the biggest stag I have ever seen in my life is just stood in the middle of the road, snorting. You know, you can see the steam coming out of its nostrils, and it's sweating, and its antlers were just enormous. It was massive. And I just looked at the taxi driver, and he went, Hey, that's him. <laughs> He was massive, but I mean, if you know what I mean, if it had been on a different stretch of road, because you know you're travelling over there, people are doing like sixty, seventy miles an hour. Oh, of course. But yeah, he was a he was a big old lad. He was.
0: Man, you plow into one of those things, it is the end of you.
1: Well, yeah, that's Volvo. Volvo test their cars with the uh, elk test, don't they?
0: Do they mm. in Sweden? What is what does that involve? I, I, I have to know.
1: Uh, it's how quickly and safely the car responds to a elk running in front of you on the road really mm.
0: how do they simulate this because I'm, I'm in my head i'm imagining like a like a like an elk with like padding on it like football pads and he's like psyching himself up but i'm sure that's not the case yeah well they might
1: have a crash test
0: elk you know oh that's that's amazing
1: but uh, yeah because that's why volvos are renowned for being so super strong you know what i mean everybody says if you're gonna crash a car crash a volvo
0: wow okay the elk test i had no idea
1: dim sum comes home my husband Norm and I never had kids, and so, in a lot of ways, the animals we've had over the years have been our kids. It's not the same, I know, but I feel a kind of love and care for them that I've never had towards human kids. Maybe that sounds bad, but it's the truth. Dimsum was one of the first cats we took in. At the time, she was only a kitten, left alone, shivering out in the rain. Norm and I nursed her back to health, and she grew up to be a healthy, happy cat. She lived with us until 1999, when we had to move from Denver to Florida for Norm's job. We had taken her with us on the trip, but along the way, stopped to see my folks, and while we were there, Dimsum took a liking to my dad. When it came time to leave, she didn't want to go, and put on such a performance, biting, scratching, wailing. We decided it was best if she stayed. We figured maybe she knew something we didn't. For a year, her and my father got along wonderfully. They would send us pictures, and while it was sad to no longer have her with us, knowing she was happy and bringing him joy helped. She disappeared a year later. My parents live in the country, so it's likely a coyote, or dog, or something else got her. It hurts to think about, but I have to assume that's what happened. This is almost 20 years ago, and I still carry a lot of guilt for leaving her behind, only to be lost. In 2016, Norm and I returned to my hometown of Houston, Texas. We rented a duplex in Fairbanks, not far from the interstate. In addition to being noisy, the place just feels... strange. The back of the house, where the bedrooms are located, is ice cold regardless of the outside temperature. This is actually a great thing in the summer. Our friends pay a fortune in air conditioning and hey, we don't have to. The really strange stuff started showing itself at night. Our last pet had passed on from old age and because of the upcoming move we hadn't adopted others. But one night I still felt cat paws softly padding across the waterbed. You could feel the little miniature waves they sent out. I opened my eyes and saw nothing there. Over the next few weeks this kept happening and while part of me wanted to be spooked because what do I know about ghosts? Another internal voice said just to relax because dim sum was checking up on me. A while later I told Norm, who said he'd been experiencing the same, and had also been hearing tiny little sneezes that Dim used to make. It's odd, of course, but I've gotten used to it, and found it comforting, knowing that whatever happened to her in the end, Dim Sum is okay now, and has come home.
0: And there was another story uh, about a familiar weight on the bed, but what was interesting about that one was that it, it changed shape over time. Mm. Because the, the, I, I didn't include it because it, it would have been basically that story again with a slightly different ending. But mm. it started off as feeling almost like they described it as almost snake-like in terms of its solidity mm. next to their legs. But over time, it, it seemed to take on kind of a, a cat shape. So it, it kind of, you know, began to feel as if it had individual paws and then felt a little more feline. And mm. I was kind of fascinated by, this, by that because it, it makes me think of something that sort of has to, uh, has to like, takes time to manifest almost.
1: Maybe it's, it, it takes a while for it to, to um, get the energy to appear fully.
0: Yeah, sort of like a, a collection or of some kind. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Because I'm used to things going the other way. You know, mm. like um, when, my, when my stepfather passed, I mean, with humans, obviously, but when my stepfather passed, my mother would feel him next to her in bed sometimes. Mm. But over time, and, she, and she, I should say she found it very comforting, but then over time, it began to feel less and less like him. Mm. And then it eventually stopped completely. And that's usually sort of the, prece- the procession I-, I expect is that, you know, as someone is, uh, as someone separates from, you know, from, from life, from the physical body and be- kind of becomes a more primal version of themselves, you know, we know them less and less. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that, the, that a cat would, would kind of go the other way, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it starts off primal and then has kind of collects itself and then becomes some sort of like Fifth dimensional super genius laying by your legs. Who knows?
1: <laughs> now I'm I'm one of those people that I always try and be balanced when it comes to the, the paranormal. But I I had a very similar sort of reaction because I, I had a, a a beloved terrier that I lost um, three and a half years ago. And in the beginning of 2018, I was I was seriously unwell with my mental health. And um, as I began my recovery, a couple of days after I'd um, started being dosed up (laughs) (laughs) with numerous antidepressants to kind of pull me from the, from the gutter. And I remember laying in bed and, and still feeling a bit vulnerable, but you know, seeing a light at the end of the tunnel finally for the first time in years. And I remember sort of, sort of that, that sort of drifting away. And as I was drifting away, I just had the sensation of, of my old dog because he always used to jump onto the bed and get snuggled up next to me and sort of rub his, He's back into me, so he was comfortable. And it only lasted sort of four or five seconds. But from that point, I just felt fabulous, really, really fabulous. And it was the first time since I'd lost him that I was able to kind of not think about him and, and be on the verge of tears. And it was a very emotionally positive moment uh, for both me and my recovery.
0: That's lovely. I have nothing smart to say to that at all. That's just, that's just nice.
1: Mm-hmm that was the feeling i just it just made me feel really really nice and after that life started getting a lot better
0: davy jones locker all right so this is a hard one to believe i'm going to cop to that right off the bat so please know that i know but i have to tell the story and at least ask the question you take it from there my work is in antiquities so you often find yourself in strange and unusual places that means when your life blows up as mine did recently you have your pick of places to hide me I chose Buenos Aires, Argentina. The thing about blowing up your life is that unless you've done it with someone in mind, and they're amenable to relocating with you, you get to feeling lonely. And so when I finally set up shop here, I desperately wanted to have a dog or cat, but my landlord wasn't having it. Finally, I decided to get fish, because even with all the apparatus required to keep them alive, they make less noise than most kettles. For a few months, the fish and I got along, dare I say it, swimmingly? Alright, that's fine. I'll, put, I'll dub a laugh track in later. Fuck you too. <laughs> then one morning I came out of my bedroom to find that both fish had somehow died in the night. I don't know what happened, but their bodies were wedged in the little bubbling treasure chest at the bottom of the tank, which they had previously seemed to enjoy so much. I was upset, after all they were still the closest friends I had in all of Argentina, and so I made sure to bury them somewhere special, in a little park just outside of the Recoleta Cemetery. For a few weeks i was without fish but eventually the loneliness won out and so i cleaned everything prepped the water and picked up two more friends since the first two had been such fans of the treasure chest i figured i'd keep it giving it a thorough clean as well before returning it to the tank the thing is no matter what i did those new fish wouldn't go anywhere near that treasure chest i even tried putting their food in it but they literally chose to go without rather than approach the bubbling toy it reached a point where they started avoiding that side of the tank entirely or at least as much as fish can avoid a place when their entire living area is that size. Finally, I replaced the entire tank, bubble toy and all, and wouldn't you know it, the fish now swim all over the whole thing. So what was up with that? Were there fish ghosts scaring my little buddies away? And, I mean, man, I don't know. Like, again, have we discussed every living, if everything is living, then presumably it can can produce a ghost of some kind. But I wonder, too, if there's this notion that animals can sense death, you know, that there is sort of a perceptible on some level uh, part of death that we just can't pick up on, but animals seem to be pretty attuned to.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are numerous stories. I mean, I'm not sure if we've spoke about this off air in a private conversation, but obviously with the, the Boxing Day tsunami in 2004, there is a very famous story about a girl who was having a, an elephant ride on the beach oh, and then no, the elephant just this. took off with her on it and just ran for the hill. And all the family were like, Oh my god, this elephant's gone mental and they ran chasing their daughter on this elephant. <laughs> right. And it saved their life. Because if they hadn't, they'd all have died. Oh wow. That's
0: incredible. So if you see an elephant running, folks, follow it. Follow it.
1: <laughs> I mean, the other aspect of that is was it you know, we have numerous stories of people claiming to have cursed items. So why would you not have a cursed treasure chest in a fish tank?
0: I guess, why not? I mean, it's, it seems like a mundane thing, but most of the shit we've seen cursed is mundane. I mean, I think we had like a, a haunted filing cabinet at one point on the show on the Cursed Items episode, so <laughs> that's entirely possible.
1: Yeah, well, there, there is a story doing the rounds coming out of Australia at the minute about a woman who claims her wedding dress is cursed.
0: Uh, oh, really? Mm. That's the story she's going with, the wedding dress is cursed.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, watch this space. We will, we'll follow that story. you didn't catch me sleeping with your best friend you caught the wedding dress sleeping with your best friend (laughs) actually that's pretty good I'm going to write that one down (laughs) Bren why are you buying a
1: wedding dress I don't want to talk about it the icons the house we all share belongs to my mother and has since her and my father had it built in the 1980s at one time the land had been an apple orchard and before that It was unbroken forest. Right now, there are four of us living here. My mother, me, my fiancé and my sister. In what I hope is a temporary arrangement until we can afford a down payment on our own place. Things are quiet now and we all get along. But over the years, there has been a lot of unrest in this house. Maybe that's contributed to what I'm about to say. It all started in the winter of 2013-14 when it was just my mother and I alone in the house. I had only just stepped into the bathroom when I heard a low growl come from behind me. We don't have pets. Of course I screamed, which brought my mother, and together the two of us tried to figure out what had made the noise. She eventually wrote it off to a vacuum in the other room, tipping over and scraping against the wall. The very idea seemed comical, but I didn't want to think about it any longer than necessary, so I agreed, and after a week or so, I forgot about it. During the following summer, My fiancé and I went out hiking in the woods and managed to get ourselves lost. Thankfully, we were able to find our way back to the road and hitch a ride with a lovely, if intense, woman. The woman's car was crammed to the top with religious stuff. Icons, hymnals and Bibles. And I recall her saying that she worked for a Catholic diocese. As she was dropping us off, she handed me a statue of Jesus holding a lamb. She said it was a garage sale find that she had never quite known what to do with, but now, having met us, she knew it had always been intended to be passed along. When a nice, if overly religious woman gives you a gift, you take it. And really, I thought the whole thing was quite sweet, so I brought the statue home with us and placed it in the kitchen window. The next day, my mother and I were having a chat in the kitchen when we both heard a loud, frightening growl come from the air between us. That one shook both of us. Mum, I think, had forgotten about my earlier experience because she pinned this particular fright on the statue which she said was creeping her out. Blaming the statue seemed a lot more palatable than entertaining other options so even though I knew the growls predated its arrival, outside it went. My sister, who is an atheist and at the time considered everything paranormal to be total bunk, said we were both being stupid and didn't want to talk about it any further. Later, though, she came to me and said that on her trip to Ireland she had purchased a small glass window image of the Virgin Mary to hang up in her room. Once she did, the nightmares began and it soon frightened her to even look at the icon. So away it went and with it, the nightmares. To say this shocked me is an understatement especially when she followed it up by suggesting that perhaps the statue hadn't been carrying anything with it at all but instead pissed off something that was already there
0: and, and i really think that's the case here because as the person in the story even mentioned yeah the, the issue was there long before or not long it was there before the statue's arrival and it's almost like at this point whatever we'll call it a demon even though i, I don't really believe in that but you know the demon had already got them on side he's like no 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 Fuck that statue business. You don't, you don't want that here. No, 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 no. <laughs> Get out. Yeah, you like being haunted. This is cool. Get rid of the statue.
1: <laughs> well, it seemed quite a pleasantly mannered demon, if it was such a thing, because obviously it behaved itself, other than as a thing about girls in bathrooms and the Virgin Mary holding a lamb, or Jesus holding a lamb. I mean, we've all been there.
0: <laughs> the Doubles. Twice in my life, I've seen doubles of my cats, and I don't have an explanation for either occasion. Maybe you can help. The first time happened maybe ten years ago, when I was laying in bed watching TV, tired but not yet asleep. A flash of white in my peripheral vision made me turn away from the Friends rerun I was watching to see my cat Percy standing on the edge of my bed. He wasn't a small cat, and usually I feel him jumping on the bed, so I was surprised to see him, and the longer I looked, the more something felt off. It took a minute but I finally realized what it was. His front paws were on the bed, but his back paws were just not there. Once I'd figured it out, he began to fade away. As I always do when paranormal things happen, I pinched myself to see if I was awake, and sure enough, I was, so I was left to wrestle with the implications of what I'd seen. Now was also a good time to point out that Percy was alive and well at the time this happened. It was about a year later the next time it happened, and again I was laying in bed. This time it was my cat Dart, short for D'Artagnan, standing on my bedside table. Her face was contorted with one paw reaching out. It looked like she was having some kind of seizure. It scared me, and so I reached out to touch her to try and snap her out of it, but she just faded away. I pinched myself again, then got out of bed to check on Dart, who was fine. If anything, she seemed a little annoyed at the extra attention. Since that time, Percy has left us, but Dart is still around and kicking. So it's not like I saw ghosts. What exactly appeared to me those nights? And yeah, we talked about this a little bit already, this idea of, of animals having you know the same kind of subtle body we do.
1: The first one doesn't seem a, a particularly unnerving experience because it's simply the apparition of a cat. But the second one with dart would be quite disturbing, I would imagine, regardless.
0: Oh, because of the seizure. Mm. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, that, that freaks me out. I mean, my cat once had a for some reason just had this one clump of hair that was way too long and she swallowed the thing and Mm. was stumbling around the house. And I, I, at the time I didn't know why she was stumbling around. I thought there was something going wrong with her, with her head. Mm. And I was fucking terrified. Mm. And you know, when I finally just was able to pull the clump of hair out and snip it off, I was so relieved. So I I, I can't imagine seeing that and thinking, Jesus, what is going on? And then Mm. it disappears on top of that.
1: Yeah. Well, one of our cats is a, is a black cat called Pixie. Obviously, and um, he when he gets a a fur ball, he decides to just spread out on the floor. So all his legs are spread out like he's been flattened, oh, Right. and he just lays on the floor going, ah, ah, for about half an hour.
0: Oh man,
1: which is half which is terrifying. Hour. The first time first time I ever saw it, I was like, oh my god, he's 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 going to die. And and Julie's like, no, he, he does that all the time. Just and I'll just give him a rub his back and stuff. <laughs>
0: It's like your mate, after he's come home from the pub, just rub his back and <laughs> let him get it out of his system and you'll be fine in the end.
1: Yeah, and then he just goes, ah, ah, and then he just licks his lips, stands up and walks off. <laughs>
0: also just like my friends after the bar, so no then.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 got a few friends like that myself. Wonderland. Not everyone can handle being a night watchman. It messes with your sleep schedule, can screw up relationships, and it can play hell with your weight if you're not careful. But I love it. I don't want to say where I work now, but my favourite job was patrolling Wonderland Greyhound Park in Revere, Massachusetts. The place closed in 2010 after a statewide ban on dog racing. But before that, it had been open since 1935. Wonderland was a big old place with a lot of history, And even more ground to patrol for layabouts, roustabouts, hangers on, bums, and thieves. You heard the odd unexplained noise, but in a place that big and old, it was easy to write off as either the building settling or something outside. Even if I couldn't write it off, I'm a big guy who doesn't scare easy, so it takes a lot more than bumps in the night to scare me. There are a couple of experiences I couldn't explain then or now, though, and while they're not scary, They have left me puzzled. The first happened upstairs, as I was entering the nightclub. It was pitch black up there, but my eyes had gotten pretty good in the dark, so I hadn't even bothered with my flashlight before unlocking the door. Inside it was somehow even darker, and I was just about to set foot on the parquet dance floor, when suddenly, a white light appeared in front of me, flying slowly in the opposite direction. It happened so quickly, so I can't say for certain what shape it was but it seemed to be about the size of a nickel and glowed for about two seconds, five feet off the ground at chest level. It vanished almost as quickly as it'd come and once it was gone, I said out loud, what the hell just happened? Well, okay, maybe I didn't say hell. It took me a good five minutes of standing there in that pitch blackness to get my head around what I'd just seen, after which I spent another few looking for it. It couldn't have been a firefly as it was 20 degrees outside and the doors were more often than not sealed. My heart was racing, but I had to finish the rounds, because my boss was a real hard-ass who got cranky if you didn't do the whole route. Nothing else out of the ordinary happened on that shift, and I didn't see the light again. The dance floor was the site of my next experience as well. Yet another patrol on yet another dark night, and this time I heard people talking. Typically, if you have to escort someone off the property, they're solo. Groups of people were very unusual, so I started quietly making my way towards the sound, which seemed to be coming from the bar. It was definitely people having a conversation with other ambient sound behind it. Really, it sounded like daytime at the dog track, with ticket machines, bets being placed, announcements over the tanai, all that jazz. Of course... I never found anyone. But the noise persisted, and bizarrely, it got louder the closer to the ground I got, like I crouched down at one point, and the noise became more noticeable. My conclusion was that it had to be one of the TVs downstairs left on overnight, so I dismissed it all, locked up, and went downstairs to turn off the offending television. Of course, none of them were on, and the room was as silent as a tomb. The third thing that happened was in the clubhouse where most of the betting took place. In the silence, I heard a greyhound barking and howling loudly enough and suddenly enough that I jumped. There shouldn't have been any dogs in the track at night in the building at all really so I immediately headed down to the paddock pissed that some clown had left his poor dog alone. By this point, You're not going to be surprised that I checked every single cage and there wasn't a dog to be found. When I've told other people that story, they always say it must have come from outside, but it's not possible, given how deep inside the building I was. There's something else that makes me think it was just not outside noise, and that's a story a co-worker told me. At the time, he was the lure operator for the track, the guy who controls the mechanical rabbit the dogs chase during the race. He said that one time while he was at work, in broad daylight, he saw a pack of dogs running behind the dogs who were officially running the race. He kind of freaked out because he maybe thought they had gotten loose and jumped onto the track, but then the moment they crossed the finish line, they disappeared. He said that thousands of dogs have come through here since 1935 and not all of them made it out. Is it so strange to think that some of them might stick around? Wonderland has been closed 10 years, and by the end, the place was falling apart. So I hope those dogs finally moved on to somewhere better.
0: And uh, I looked up Wonderland, mm. and that place was in a terrible state of repair by the end of it. It was quite grand. If, if you look it up, I think it was in uh, just outside of Boston on the east coast of the US, but... Mm. Uh, Really, really fantastical place when it was first built, and then, as so many of these places do, just fell into absolute ruin. Mm. But it reminded me of this uh, betting track outside of the town of Kamloops mm. in Revelstoke, near uh, near a couple hours outside of Revelstoke, and it, it's not anywhere near as grand. It's it's pretty garbage. Um, I don't even know <laughs> if it's still there anymore. But it was called the KXA,
1: mm.
0: and the reason I, I remember it, and this has nothing to do with ghosts or, or dogs, is just the betting track, and this reminded me. Hmm. My cousin who lives in Calus, he took me there once for, for, uh, for breakfast. Cause he said the breakfast is cheap and it's really good. And I remember we got there and the chef was this old German guy and, uh, it was just him. That's it. Just him in this mostly empty betting, sort of like betting track. They've got the, I guess, I, I can't, which, I don't know what you call it. There's a name for this kind of like betting parlor, but there's, they got all the televisions with all the, the, the races going and all the results and all that shit. But there's this old German man standing behind the counter and he says, two specials. And I was looking at the menu and I, th- and I said, well, actually, I think I'll have. And he goes, nope, two specials. <laughs> and he points at the board and the special was uh, open-faced Denver or something. I said, okay, yeah, so two specials. Yep, two specials. And that, that was it. That was, you, that was what you had for breakfast at the, <laughs> at the, the, uh, the Kamloops dog track. And, and uh, I have to imagine that it was a little better at Wonderland back mm. in the day.
1: Yeah, well, Sheffield's got a dog track still in operation. Really? Yeah. Greyhound racing still is holding out in certain areas of the UK. Um, and it's one of those nights that it, it's like um, a rite of passage over here. Everybody, you've got to go to the dogs for one particular, you know, once at least. Interesting. And, uh, the one tip I remember, um, other than don't stand near the man who's drinking 16 pints in an hour. Somebody said always bet on the dog that's having a poo. And I said <laughs> I said what he said he said just keep watching he said you'll notice some of the dogs on the way into the into the cages he says they'll have a poo always bet on the one that has a poo. And uh, and I think I did it 3 times and one of them won. So I learned that having a poo before a race is no sort of guarantee that that, that dog might win. <laughs>
0: I don't know, I feel like 30% 33% odds. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my yeah. cat, she'll, she'll, she'll have a poo and then she will just run around the apartment like she's been lit on fire. So, I mean, yeah. and, and I <laughs> yeah, get it. Sometimes you, have a, sometimes you have a really good one and you feel like you've just transformed. So, I understand.
1: <laughs> I don't think I've ever felt like I needed to go for a run, to be honest.
0: Well, no, I've never felt like that in my entire life. <laughs> That's not my dog. That's not my dog. That's not my dog. But well. Either way. One night in the fall of 2003, I was awoken from a peaceful sleep by just about the most horrid noise you can imagine, one I immediately recognized as being produced by my cat Atticus. Addie only makes that noise when something is wrong, so I hopped out of bed to figure out what was going wrong at this ungodly hour. I found Atticus in the living room, staring at the gate which separates the hallway from the staircase. The usually placid little ragdoll had his hackles up and was making that terrible sound it would look to be a large dog peering over the gate. At the time, we had four dogs living in the house. This was not terribly unusual, though Addie usually got along with them, and they never had this kind of disagreement. When Atticus saw me, he ran into my bedroom, still hissing, and by the time I turned back to look at the stairs, the dog was gone. I stood there for a moment, confused. Our dogs were on the big side, but this one had seemed unusually large, and when I went to check on our guys, they were all asleep and apparently unaware of the drama that had been playing itself out a moment ago. My younger sister had been sleeping on the sofa downstairs and was awake when I went down to check. What was all that noise? she asked. Atticus, I said. He was giving one of the dog shit. Which one? she asked. I shook my head. They're all asleep. I don't know. She gave me a look. Neither of us knew what to say, so she just said goodnight, pulled the blanket over herself, and went to sleep. For my part, I was deeply confused and went back upstairs wondering if I had just seen a ghost dog or something else.
1: The question kept me up most of the night. The Bat When I was eleven or twelve years old, I saw something that I still can't explain. It was a warm summer's evening, and I couldn't get to sleep. This wasn't unusual. I was, and have always been, a night owl. But what I saw next was... To get a sense of the space, my bed was up against the wall with my wooden dresser at the foot of it. During one particularly annoyed period of looking around the room, trying to summon up the will to sleep, my eyes settled on a particularly dark corner behind the dresser. As I adjusted to the dark, I was able to pick out a black spot on the dresser, and at first I assumed it was my eyes playing tricks on me, but then it started to move. That really woke me the rest of the way up. I was able to make out that it had wings, and then it flew at me. It looked like a bat, but didn't make any noise. No flapping of wings, no sound as it left the dresser or came towards me. I got the hell out of there, running into the living room just outside and lay on the couch, where I definitely did not sleep. The next day I went over every square inch of my room, and couldn't find any evidence of the bat whatsoever. The window hadn't been open, and the door had stayed closed following my exit, so there was nowhere it could have gone. All week, I was nervous about finding a dead bat somewhere in my room, and luckily I never did. I hadn't had any experiences like that since.
0: And uh, this is where I have to admit, and again, I'm pretty sure I've told this before on the show, but I, I have had that happen. When I was a kid, I, I had a bat appear in my like a bat-like thing appear in my room. Mm. but uh, it was the strangest thing. and then I, I thought I was the only one. and then a few years ago, and again, I've, I've mentioned this on the show as well, I, I got to know this guy in downtown Victoria, and he'd had the same thing happen, but in reverse. Mm. He had been an addict and he was struggling, uh, he was going through a very, very difficult time in his life, and he was mm. struggling with, with uh, sort of the desire to relapse. yeah And he, he's not a particularly religious person, but he still went into a church cause that's all he knew to pray. And hmm. he just said, you know, please, 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 I, I can't, I don't want to relapse. I don't want this to happen. I need to get through this. And he saw this black bat, like, or I should say black bat like thing fly out of his chest and it disappeared after it got about arm's length away. Hmm. But I hadn't told him that story about me. He had just offered this on his own and it was it was sort of the first confirmation i'd had that that was actually a a thing that people experience mm. but it sounds like this whoever this person was got a hell of a lot luckier than we did cuz it didn't actually touch them it sounds like he managed to to just get out of there
1: yeah how was the how was the gentleman that that mentioned it did he did he relapse afterwards or did he find it easier to to fight it off
0: he found it easier to fight it off he didn't have uh, as i understand it he didn't relapse
1: mm. well, maybe it was some kind of spiritual manifestation of his addiction leaving him? Well, I wondered
0: that, you know, I mean we, we called the very first episode of uh, this year, or sorry, last year, I think it was This Present Darkness. Mm. And there, that's, I don't know if you've read it, but that's the title of a book by a guy, uh, by an author named Frank Peretti. Mm. And it's it's a fiction novel, it's, it's a very, very Christian fiction novel, mm. but it's about this war, of course, between the forces of good and evil, but mm. the idea is in there is that uh, addiction and these kinds of things are like uh, they're demons mm. causing these things you know and, and, yeah. and that's that's sort of what's producing the this urge in you and I, I'm not a big fan of, of that I mean people who listen to the show kind of know my, my feelings about the subject in general, but at the same time, I do kind of wonder if there can be these external factors operating on people who are suffering from addiction and, and other forms of mental health distress you know
1: yeah i mean it is it is that kind of situation that i've I've heard of and, and people have kind of created this kind of manifestation of their battle be it, you know whichever um facet of their life an addiction or a, or an illness is affecting be it mental or you know or, or drugs related or alcohol related and i think for some people that they find it easier to to deal with if it's if it has some kind of physicality to it rather than it just being a um a, a mind over matter situation Oh, okay. I don't know. I he, mean, maybe, maybe he wanted it so much that he created this to, to give him that realization and that visualization of his, of his struggle. And by throwing it away, whether he meant to do it or not, it made it easier for him to, to, to deal with that fight because he'd visualized it leaving him this Oh, that's evil, fascinating.
0: That I is a know. fascinating possibility. Yeah. Interesting. Well, again, if anyone else has had experiences like that, we'd love to hear it. Uh, shoot me a message at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And let me know, because I, again, this kind of thing, because I've had that personal experience, fascinates me, and mm. uh, I would love to know what mine were. actually, that's not true. I think I know. I think if it was anything, I think those were physical manifestations of depression, because that's mm. that from that point forward, I, my personality changed mm. and i went I went from being sort of like the class I wouldn't say class clown, but very much like a class goof mm. to very moody, very sullen very sad, uh, like, rest- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very reserved person, very mm. reserved child. Mm. So interesting. But yeah.
1: Well, yeah, because a lot of people tend to call depression the black dog.
0: Oh, I, I, I haven't actually heard that expression.
1: It's a, it's a very common term here in, in the UK that people call depression the black dog. So the black dog's on my shoulder or the black dog's on my bed. is basically people using that term to, to realization of their depression. So they call it the black dog.
0: Interesting. Well, I am well acquainted with the black dog then. I just didn't know its proper name.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Don't be afraid. In my life, I've had only one paranormal experience and I kind of feel like I blew it. Let me explain. My cat Lily was the love of my life. I don't even care how that sounds. I love that cat so goddamn much it hurt. At the time, I was living in Southern California and had just gone through a bad breakup with someone who everyone loved because the face they presented to the world was very different than the one they wore in private. In time, everyone saw what I had seen all those years, but I was lonely a long time before that happened, and until she got sick, Lily was there for me. The sickness was feline infectious peritonitis, and there was no choice but to put her to sleep. I still don't like to talk about the event itself, but please know it broke my heart. The day afterward, I walked into my room and I saw Lily's white-tipped black tail hanging down from behind the curtains, as though she were sitting there on the windowsill the way she used to. Some people who have heard this story tell me it was my imagination, but I know exactly what it was I saw. I know this because this is when I fucked up. I started to panic. My heartbeat sped up, I started crying, and fled the room like a maniac. To this day, I don't know why I was so frightened. Maybe I thought if I stuck around, I'd see a full-on ghost instead of just a tail, but... Even now, I struggle to think why that would be so bad. It never happened again. If it really was Lily's spirit, I don't think she was trying to frighten me. I think she'd come to say goodbye, and because of my fear, I missed that opportunity. Don't be like me. If you have a chance to see something you don't understand or expect, face it with curiosity rather than fear. I'd hate for you to miss out the way I have. We'll be right back. welcome back. I want to give a huge thanks to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for everything they do to help make this show go. It is a privilege to be able to work with them. And I'm excited to see what we're going to do this year because we have, we got some cool plans. We got some cool ideas. And I think, I think it's going to be great. I really do. I, I, it's been, it has been an uncertain month and I know a lot of our listeners weren't certain if the show was going to come back at all, but the show is back and the show will be better than ever. I have a great amount of faith in that. And that actually, part of that faith comes from our patrons, who I would like to thank next.
1: This one's for the patrons.
0: Patrons, without you, this show simply wouldn't exist. You guys pay for all the expenses, you guys pay me a a living wage to work on the show, and by God, I sure like you. Like a whole bunch. Like it's weird. Like like weird weird. But anyways, we won't dwell on that. Our newest patrons are Amanda Strong, Sarah, Brian Will, Emily Hunt, A. McKay, Holland Connor, Jennifer Mullen, and Gene Cupertino. Again, guys, thank you so, so much from the bottom of my heart and from everyone else here on the team it's just again that you've stuck with us that you have continued to support us through this change has meant the world to all of us and all we can do to repay you is to keep bringing you the highest quality show we can and in that vein there is so much new stuff coming to the Patreon we're revamping some things we're adding new stuff and I am just crazy excited for what the future will bring not only have we changed the monthly live show into movie night ish Where every month we will stream a movie together, we we all press play at the same time, and then we just chat about the movie, chat with each other, you can send me and uh, my special guest uh, text messages during the show, we'll talk about what's going on. This month our special guest is indeed the man himself, Paul Bestel of Mysteries and Monsters, and I'm very excited for that. We've also added the Sunken Library, which is a place for all kinds of cool stuff that just doesn't fit into the main show anymore. So. Coming up this month, keep carrying on the Animal Ghosts theme, we're going to have two Sunken Library episodes, both of which are crazy stories about animal ghosts, or in one case, an animal astral projection on the moon. It's wild. I can't wait to get it recorded. There's so much good stuff. And then, of course, you've also got our physical rewards. You've got stickers, exclusive art cards with My Night Photography, and so much more. You can check all of that out at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. If you want to get in touch and I encourage you to, I love reading your emails and uh, it's just, it's nice knowing you guys are out there. We've had a lot of great messages again over the last month from people. You can reach us at ghost at gmail.com. And though Sarah will reply to some of your messages, I read everything that comes in. So please know that uh, Sarah just helps me out with some of the workload in terms of, you know, uh, just, yeah, it's hard to reply to everything. And Sarah helps with that, but I do read every message that comes in. And again, that's ghoststoryguys at gmail.com for your comments, questions, and general criticisms. And if you have a story or a comment for the show but you don't want to type, you can always call The Ghost Line.
2: There's something in your neighborhood We're call Ghost Line
1: Call triple
0: That's one 888 is a number to call. That's a toll-free number anywhere in North America. If you're outside of North America, but you want to send a message in for the ghost line, you can still do that. Just record it as a voice message on your phone and email it to ghoststoryguys@gmail.com at gmail.com with the subject heading ghost line. And if you don't want to talk, you can text to 925 Those messages, those calls, those will be played on the mini-shows. The mini-shows will not start up again until February. We're kind of slowly getting back into the process of making the show, but they are coming back, and I'm very excited to get those going too. Also, a feature of this show used to be that we would have uh, featured artists in the episodes. We would play uh, a song from someone and and split it through the breaks, and we've actually had a couple people write us and ask about featuring their music. And so what we're going to do is once the mini-shows start back up, that is where we'll be featuring the artist's song. So if, you, if you've got a band and you're looking for some exposure, shoot me a message. Again, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Let's talk. And uh, maybe we can play your track in one of the upcoming mini-shows. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys, Instagram at instagram.com slash theghoststoryguys, and Twitter at twitter.com slash ghoststoryguys. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at largelythetruth. And I'm going to bring back our long-suffering guest here, he has been patiently waiting while I, I do my babble. That is, of course, the great Paul Bestel from Mysteries and Monsters. And Paul, uh, first off, thank you for being here. This, you have made this a uh, hell of a lot less weird than I thought it was going to be. So that's very, very welcome.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me back and uh, thanks for having me.
0: And where can folks find you on the internet?
1: Um, well, you can find us under Mysteries and Monsters, uh, wherever you can download or listen to podcasts. Uh, we are on all social media platforms, so uh, um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and YouTube as well. And you can also get in touch by dropping us an email at mysteriesandmonsters at gmail.com too.
0: Make sure you listen to Mysteries and Monsters. It's a brilliant show, and you will learn a shitload about the paranormal.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we've got some good good uh, spooky episodes coming up, so I've got a, a couple of paranormal episodes coming up with uh, Kitsy Duncan. Um, from the oddity files and uh the british ghost author ruth roper wild is returning and um, she's got a new book coming come out just before christmas um, so she's coming back to talk through that with me as well so yeah we've got some uh, good shows and a few bigfoot things and some ufology and stuff so yeah some interesting shows coming up
0: fantastic if you want to pick up some ghost guys merch head on over to our website at you can find links there to our redbubble t public and big cartel stores And that covers the range from t-shirts to mugs to signed copies of my book, A Strange Little Place. Available everywhere. Find books who sold. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizanta Music. You can find more from him by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you stream your tunes. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. You can find more of their music on streaming platforms everywhere. That's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And finally, all other music and sound effects on this episode are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for PodSafe music or sound effects for your next project, head on over to epidemicsound.com to check them out. I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then, into the darkness we go. <music> We can't fight over drugs because we're not in the same place. (laughs) The ultra macho nature of the ghost story, guys.
1: (laughs) The ghost story, bros.
0: Exactly. It's all the (laughs) molten sexuality being pumped through these microphones.
1: Like listening to Joe Rogan and Alex Jones.
0: Okay, you take that back. I will fight you. I will put on a KN95, fly my ass over there and beat your ass. We're still... uh, Oh no! I was going to say, despite all the rage written, but I'm not going to do that to you.
1: But it's still a wonderful film, and and easily the best of the of the myriad of films that were made on it.
0: I mean, that's that's not saying much. That's like saying, do you like this <laughs> this bundle of roses, or do you like this selection of camel shit? So, <laughs> how dare you suggest that I have human emotions? <laughs> Other than that, I mean, if I eat anywhere, there's a breakfast place around the corner, and I they have an outside table, and I don't care how fucking cold it is, I eat out there. I'm <laughs> like, you sure you want to sit out here? I brought my big coat. Don't worry about it. That's <laughs> right. And sing. <laughs> and Julie just says, "Paul, sit down and watch the movie, honey."
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one of those. <laughs> one of those. Well, it's like those old cliche things. Let's just do the show right here
0: yeah exactly oh dear now we're both singing that's bad ball. that's dangerous
1: yeah I remember the first time I saw Ghostbusters and there's that bit at the beginning where Bill Murray's talking to Dan Aykroyd about him getting kicked out of the university and he starts singing and I can still remember to this day there was a cold shiver ran up my back and I thought oh my god this isn't a musical is it (laughs) (laughs) and then thankfully it it wasn't not that I'm a you know I'm quite a sub spot for musicals but i didn't want to see a ghostly musical i want to see a film about ghosts
0: yeah that would have been deeply disappointing if the whole thing had just been gozer 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 why won't you go away (laughs) yeah i know that that would have been bad (laughs) she's floating above the bed and barking like a dog Yeah. yeah No. Oh, God. So you didn't get me started. This is bad. This is really dangerous.
1: He's the Stay Puff
2: Marshmallow Man. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> boom, no boom, 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 it's, it's all basic. Oh, yeah. No, this is dangerous. Dangerous <laughs> stuff.
2: BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then